Homeschooling is an epic investment of your time, energy, and on days, your sanity. Our goal is to come alongside you with weekly encouragement and practical help so you can homeschool boldly. Hello and welcome to the Homeschool Boldly podcast brought to you by Homeschooling Today magazine. Ashley Wiggers here with a very special guest today, Jenny Urich. Jenny, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. Jenny is a homeschooling mom of five kids. She's an author, a speaker. She has her master's in education and is the creator of the 1000 Hours Outside Global Movement. Jenny, I just love the message that you have and what you're doing to help families spend time together outside. Thank you for what you're doing. And please just share with us what inspired you to start this movement. Ah, thank you for those kind words. Really, all we're doing is sharing our life. So that's pretty much it. That's the only thing. And I do think that in life, when we find something that works for us, it's fun to share it. And I think for my, my own personal journey, there have been so many people that have come before me you know, from Charlotte Mason to John Holt to all of these different people that have come before. And I know with a magazine, you're highlighting those people. It it really does change your life. And so I think when we just share the simple things that seem like maybe they're not that big of a deal, I think it can be really helpful. It certainly has been in my life from other people. So my story starts as a young mom, and I just didn't really know what to do. And I didn't know how to fill the time. And I felt like a failure constantly. You know, I had even just with just one child, we had three um, in just under three years. So I had a lot of little children. But but even with just the first one, I remember it was a mess from the beginning at a birth plan and all of the things. And it just it was rocky from the start. And everything I expected the day to be like was so vastly different. It was like I expected a schedule to work and I expected, you know, to have a little bit of a break and this rest time. And it just never went that way from the birth. I mean, the, I had the birth plan that's thrown out the window and you know, I got disqualified from the birth center. That was the word they use. I was like, can you use something else? You know, <laughs> so right. it's a struggle. I really struggled as a young mom and uh, just finding rhythm and finding balance and just uh, finding a way to make it through the days where I didn't feel like I was so harried and and really pretty down because I had an expectation of of really enjoying motherhood. I always liked babies. I liked kids. I, you know, I, I was a teacher. And anyway, it was just so hard for me. And I was in this spot of life where I was just signing up for different programs. Because how do you fill, a, you know, a 10-hour day? It's like my husband would be gone for work. He had an eight-hour shift. You know, it was an hour commute. I mean, that's a long time to fill, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. <laughs> you know, what are, we, what are we doing with this time? And so I did programs. And Ashley, those programs were a lot of work. You know, anybody knows you're trying to take a kid anywhere. That's a lot of work. You know, you have to have all these things packed and gone are the days when you just walk out and go. It's like you have to have thought through all of these different scenarios. And what if they threw up and what if they mess their diaper? And, you know, just it's so much. And I would have these days almost every day, really, where it would be like 10 or 11 in the morning. And I would be like, I am so done with it this day. And there's still so much of it left. So that's how I spent my first several years. 
My life changed with one sentence. A friend from mine at MOPS who knew she was going to homeschool, but she was one year ahead. And so she had started to do research before I did. She came to MOPS and she said, hey, she said, you know, I've been researching. And she said, Charlotte Mason says that kids should be outside for four to six hours whenever the weather is tolerable. I thought, well, that's a weird idea, right? Like, I mean, nobody does anything for four hours. They do things for 45 minutes or 30 minutes. You've got the music program or your little soccer class or whatever it is. Nothing's four hours because I think every human knows nothing can hold a, a child's attention for four hours. That's, that's where I was coming from, right? That's the goal. That's why I've bought all these toys or that's why, you know, I've made this homemade batch of Play-Doh. It's like I want something to hold my child's attention. But up until that point, I'm like, nothing holds their attention. They just, you know, they don't focus for that long. And so our life is this harried set of small little bites of, of life. And it was just really overwhelming for me. Everyone can relate to that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard. It's a big transition. And so this four to six hour idea, which I thought was odd, just was hanging out there. And then this friend of mine who brought the information said, we should try it. I was like, we should not, (laughs) you know, (laughs) just thinking this is not, I mean, this is an absurd idea. Like it was not going to work. It's going to be awful. You know, have you, you know, have you been to this program or that? It's like always chaotic. But uh, I was in that position of life too, just sort of starving for friendships. And so I agreed to give it a go. And it was really a life-changing day for me. I, I tell people it's the best day of my life because it was the first good day I had as a mom. Mm-hmm. I hadn't had one. I've been a mom for three years and not really had a good day. And what happened was we met at a park in we're in Michigan in the fall, in September of 2011. And we brought a picnic lunch and a picnic blanket. That was it. That was part of the premise of the whole thing was not to bring a bunch of things with you, like toys and books and crafts, which I thought was a, an awful idea. This, this is going to be the worst. Uh, but, but what happened was something that I didn't realize could happen is that the kids just played with each other and nature occupied them. And we were at a spot that didn't have a play structure. It was just a gr- big grassy field far from a parking lot. You went over this little bridge. There was a very shallow creek. So it's not dangerous. And, we, you know, we had six kids, two were babies. So we each held our babies and the babies would nurse and sleep. And you'd sit there under the sunshine and the fresh air and the breeze. And the older four kids who were toddlers and preschoolers, who knows what they did, Ashley, but they <laughs> occupied themselves and they ran around. And it was my first period of time where I got to exhale and I got to catch my breath and I didn't feel like I was failing. And what happened was the kids fell asleep all on the way home, which was like a miracle when you got three little ones, they don't ever sleep at the same time. And my life changed in that one day with that one sentence from Charlotte Mason, who I learned years later was from the 1800s. So she wasn't even like current, Uh, but I'm glad I learned it later because otherwise I would have been like, well, I'm not listening to that because she's not from now. But so many of her ideas have stood the test of time and she has just wonderful books, but all her different volumes. But the last 10 years to 12 years have been this journey of learning that when we allow our kids to play outside freely, and we don't have to, that means that there's no pressure, like you don't have to organize this game or that scavenger hunt, that this is the self-directed time, that that time helps them to develop in every facet of their development. So when people say like, 
in America, you know, we've got this seat work down. You know, I mean, like there's one million curriculums I could choose from for homeschooling. And that part we've got down. But it's like, what about the rest of our kids, the whole beings? So the outside time helps their physical bodies. It helps their social skills. It helps their emotional well-being. It helps them spiritually if that's something that a family is looking for because God's creation displays uh, his principles in, mm-hmm. in numerous ways. And it actually is academic because it helps with cognition. The sensory input and the complex movement actually bro- it grows brain structures. And so it's all fascinating. I had no idea it was even a thing. And it really has changed our life. Well, and isn't it amazing, you know, something so simple can make such a big impact. And I love the fact that now you've been on this journey of learning all the benefits that come with it. So you you went after it because of a practical need to help you and your family enjoy being together and getting through motherhood and all of that. And then you found out, oh, wait a second, there's actually all these other benefits that come with being outside and and learning through nature. And so that's what I think is so powerful with what you've done is you've, you've got this megaphone now where you're helping families realize it's not a waste of time. In fact, it's mm. one of the most valuable ways that you can spend your time as a family. And so I know for us, a day at the park is like one of the most refreshing, rejuvenating things that we can do together. And what I really learned when my boys were younger is that I didn't have to tell them no all the time. Because, you know, in the house, no, you can't touch that. No, you can't go there. No, you can't. Please, can you stop doing that? Don't hit that, you know? And when you get them outside, you let them run free and you realize, wow, we can all enjoy this together, which is really so huge. And it takes a bit of courage, doesn't it? Because families think that, no, like we have to structure their time so that, you know, in order to get ahead and in order to be prepared for the future, So here's what I love. Your book that just came out, Until the Streetlights Come On, I've been really enjoying it. And one of the things you shared in there is that not only did you skip preschool with your kids, which nowadays would raise like a few eyebrows, but you also skipped kindergarten. And when I read that, I was like, because we did too. And that's not something that typically you share with people, Um, but it really was a blessing to read that. I'm a second gen homeschooler. So for me, it wasn't quite as scary as it is for some people. But once we got to the age of kindergarten with my son, I was just like, there's no, like he has zero interest in the things that you would teach in kindergarten. And he just wants to be outside and he wants to run and play and build with things. And so we dove into that. And I think one of the best things about what you're doing is you're like giving parents permission from an educational Mm -hmm. standpoint to let their kids be kids. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, that is really the point is that we are misguided. We love our kids. We're misguided in the approach. And you brought up a really important point about structure and it's logical. It would seem on its face that we should structure it all, right? Because we're several decades older. We have all of this experience. We know all of these different things. We've done academic work ourselves. So it makes sense, right? I'm the one who's supposed to structure. But the problem is, is that we are sending our kids into a world that is changing rapidly. And so they have to be able to structure some of their own lives. And what's happening logistically, logistically what's happening is that kids are entering adulthood and they cannot make decisions. 
and they're really stuck because they haven't had any practice. We have filled kids' lives so full that, you know, maybe from seven in the morning till seven at night, an adult is telling them what to do for almost the entirety of their childhood. I mean, that's really a tricky thing. I even know for my own self, like as an entrepreneur, but even just as a mother trying to figure out how do we, how do we craft a home? How do we craft a life? How do I figure this out? And things are constantly changing with your kids. Like you have to be able to pull from somewhere inside of you in order to meet those challenges that you face. And it is really tricky. It seems like it's the best thing at the time, but if you're looking down the road a bit, you really realize that white space on my calendar, time for my kids to be bored, time for them to figure out what they love to tinker around with and what is it that they love to do with their time. How do they solve problems? All of, how do they deal with conflict? All of that is very valuable, both for now, because it keeps them out of your hair a little bit too. I think that there's, there's benefit in a kid knowing how to work through boredom for the sake of a parent. I mean, there's that part. But for their long-term success, these are the skills that they're going to need in a world that doesn't provide jobs that last 30 years anymore. Yeah, just that whole premise that what do they need for their future? And we think, oh, you know, they need this skill, they need that skill. What does productive time look like for kids? It looks like music class, it looks like language lessons. And so I love that you're kind of redefining what it means to be productive as a child. Can you share a little bit more about like in, in your home and in your experience, what does productive time look like? Well, this has been a journey for me. And I think that is one of the beautiful parts of homeschooling. It's a journey and your kid gets a front row seat to the journey. I think that's a really special part of it, a very important part because otherwise kids are siphoned off and they don't understand the ins and the outs and the whys of why you structure your days that you do. And so even when things go awry or you have to make a, a different choice, you're modeling to kids, how do you build a life and how do you grow and change it and adapt? And I used to be a teacher and I, you know, it's, it's very adult directed without the why. Your child comes in and you tell them what to do and they do that thing, but they don't have any sense of like, where are we headed and what's the, why are we doing it this way, that type of thing. So in our home, it's been a journey. I used to be more of a director. That's how I viewed myself. And you do this and you do that. And I was really challenged by John Holt, who has a book. I, it's one of my favorites. He's written a lot of books, but my, one of my favorites, it's a very short book. So it's a good read because if you're homeschooling, you don't have a lot of extra time. It's very short. It's called Learning All the Time. And the mm -hmm. subtitle is How Young Children Learn to Read, Write, Do Math, and Investigate the World Without Being Taught. Now, that's a bold statement, right? I mean, do we even believe that at all without being taught? They learn to read, write, do math, and investigate the world without being taught. And his book, it really challenged me to take a step back and, and look at self-education in a different way. And also, it caused me to look at my own role more as a modeler as opposed to a conductor because, you know, I was sort of asking the kids to do things that I wasn't willing to do myself. Like I'm asking them to be brave. They're scared of this. You know, they're, they, you know, they're nervous to talk to this person there. And I'm like, well, I'm not doing anything in my life that's scary or that stretches me. And so I started to really start to insert those things. I think it adds empathy. And then it also, uh, it, it's a bridge for your children to see, oh, my mom does this or my dad does this. So, you know, I can do it too. So what I changed 
uh, several years in, which really wasn't several years in because we we didn't do too much formal stuff until like a little bit down the road. But I stopped interrupting. So, you know, if, if the kids were outside playing a game with each other, so this is a practical thing. The kids are outside playing a game with each other. They're playing in their rooms and they're building a Lego or they're they're looking through a picture book that they really like. I, in the past, would have interrupted to come do their math worksheet. And I stopped doing that because I think that, you know, I can find other times to do that and fit that in. It doesn't take all that much time to get those pieces in, into the puzzle. And so I, I tried to look at those times more as they are doing something worthwhile. So I say all the time, what the child finds worthy is worthy. They they innately know how to learn for mastery. And I think that's something that we forget because we put kids in school so young. I mean, they're three, they're four, but but up until that point, they have learned, and you know, you've got kids that are neurotypical and you've got kids that are neurodivergent. So they're learning at different rates and, you know, but every child is growing in a, in a way. And so you've got kids that they learn to crawl and Hey, you didn't teach them. You're so, Mm -hmm. you know, you're several decades older, but you didn't teach them how to crawl. And they learn that skill and they learned it perfectly in order to scaffold for the next skill, you know, and then they start to pull up. So all of these things kids are doing, it's their own body that drives them on. And that does not stop. That does not stop. That would go all the way through their entire life if it wasn't stifled. And so that was a big change that I made, practically speaking, especially in the early years, because that window for like really diving into play is about birth to eight. They're called the wonder years. Some people call them that. And so just honoring that this is a time period where play is shaping them and movement is shaping them and imagination and experiences with friends. And so all of that is just as important, if not more important, than their workbook. That's so good. Uh, one of the things that we talk about a lot on this podcast is kind of finding our grounding and our our trust in faith and how God made our children. And so you just put it so perfectly that, you know, they're they're made to grow. They're made to learn. They're made to discover. And so if we can kind of like pull back our hands a little bit and just allow them to be who God made them to be. They'll learn so much more than if we're constantly trying to quote unquote, put productive things in front of them and direct their time like you talked about. So one thing that is kind of side by side with this movement for you is letting go of screen time and embracing outside time. So I wanted to ask you for parents of of younger kids and older kids, like, do you have parameters that you kind of set at your house or guidelines for screen time? Because you still use screens. We all still have them in our lives. So is there a way that you have found that works for your family? Yes, we absolutely have parameters. And I think that every family should have parameters. I think every child deserves the gift of boundaries when it comes to screens. It's very important. And I actually, you know, I I think I would have always said that, but I had this really in-depth conversation with a young man named Sean Killingsworth earlier this year, who's in his early 20s. He's, and he might even be just 20. And he's on this mission to bring these clubs to college campuses where people commit to not use their phones 
for the hour or two that they get together. And his premise is that he lost his childhood. And it is a very sobering conversation. And you hear the grief in his voice of how excited he was to be a kid, to be a teenager, to have these different experiences that all of us got to have where we got to be ourselves without the fear of being videotaped and having that shared to other people. We, we had experiences where we got to be present with other people and they weren't with someone else texting on their phones. You know, uh, you know they're, they're here, but they're not. And he said that this adolescent period of time, childhood, starting at age eight is what he said, it has become a social wasteland that, that there's hardly any kids for kids to play with. And it's just so grieving. Like they only get to do it once. And my midwife says, Someday our kids are going to come to us and ask us why. Like, why didn't you put more boundaries? Why didn't you say no? Like, that was my only childhood I got. So yes to parameters. We tend to look at it a, a little bit like how things used to be. Society used to have the parameters that were built in. So it was just automatic. The cartoons ended at certain times. There was only a few shows on, you know, in the afternoon. The summer was all reruns. Those are boring. So we look at it as like there is time for screens and then there's just not. So in our family, we've, we've kind of gone with the Saturday morning thing. So it allows you to say yes. Like, can I watch a cartoon? Like, yes, on Saturday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, you can say yes every time. It is like this is when you can do it. So having that bound in uh, has been really helpful for our family. And I think that it it's a tall order because... We didn't used to, the parent didn't used to have to do it. It was just like, there was nothing to watch on a Sunday. And so you just had to play. You had no other option. And so maybe we take that approach, you know, and and now it's us. Now it's us saying, because TV is available 24 seven and YouTube has however billions of hours of minutes or what, I don't know, uploaded every day. It's like an astronomical amount of content. But I do think that boundaries and parameters are extremely important and they are a big gift to our kids. That's really good. And one thing that I always have to ask people who come onto the podcast, because the name of the podcast is Homeschool Boldly. So homeschooling boldly means something different for every family because God made all of us unique. And we like to remember that often. So one thing I always want to ask is, what does the phrase homeschool boldly mean to you and your family? Mm. I wonder if a lot of people give this answer. I think that you have to be bold to do it the way that your family is supposed to do it. And I think that's tricky in this day and age because we can see what everyone else is doing through social media and what one family is doing might not be the best for your family. And John Taylor Gatto says, um, there are as many ways to become educated as there are fingerprints, which I think is such a freeing statement. And that's true that your path to becoming an educated person is going to be unique to you. It gets, what a gift. But I think that we have to be bold to stand for the rights of our kids and to say, well, you know, that would make us too busy or my child isn't ready to read yet. And so we're waiting. And I think those types of things can be really embarrassing. Like um, one of my favorite authors is named Dr. Carla Hannaford. And she's written some phenomenal books. One of my favorite ones is called Smart Moves. And the subtitle is Why Learning is Not All in Your Head. And so this is a book about how movement and learning are intrinsically related. It's fascinating. And she's a PhD and she's in her 80s. And she says that when she was a kid, she didn't learn to read till she was 10 years old. 
10. Oh, wow. And now she's a PhD. And she said it didn't matter back then. You know, she would have been, what's 10? Like third grade, fourth, fourth grade? And so even if you are homeschooling, your child may still be in an environment, like let's say a church class or vacation Bible school, or they're at the homeschool co-op and maybe they're 10 and they don't read yet. And I think you have to be bold to be able to stand in that gap for your child to say, it's okay. And we're letting them grow on their own timeline. I think that Carla Hannaford said the average age, or maybe I read it somewhere else, but the average age for a child to learn to read is between three and 12. Oh, wow. What a range. And they say it doesn't matter if you're the three-year-old reader or you're the 12-year-old reader. This has zero impact on the rest of your life. So I think homeschool boldly to me means even though that there's so many different options out there and there's a lot of different pressures, we still choose to the best of our ability to do this toward our kids bent, toward the way that they're wired and to help them just grow little by little throughout their childhood. And your kids have not suffered because you didn't do kindergarten. No, and we actually don't really start formal seat work until seven. And I will say that for our youngest, so here's my story. It's a new story, Ashley. It's a new development. I read that John Holt book years ago, How Young Children Learn to Read, Write, Investigate the World, Do Math Without Being Taught. I was like, no, I don't know about this, but it's always really piqued my interest. And so for our youngest, she's our fifth. And I thought, you know what? I've done this, um, teach your kids to read for a hundred easy lessons for the oldest four. And it's worked pretty well at, you know, they're at older stages. I know not, not everything works for everyone, but you know, it works pretty well. You get to lesson 70 and they're reading. Like they've gone from illiterate to reading chapter books in a, in the course of two to three months when they're seven ish. I was like, okay, I'm not going to do it. I can always go back to it. You know, I can always get the book out. It's on my shelf, but I was like, I'm really curious about this. And I tell you what, our youngest daughter, she's seven years old and she can read, and I never taught her. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, because we read a lot of books in our home, and she's curious, and this is what John Holt says. They want to learn, and so then they start to ask the questions, and they start to decode the words, and so we read a lot, and we've talked about all the letters, and she knows her alphabet, and she wants to be able to be involved. So it's, it's the same age, and I didn't have to do the book, and I think you brought up earlier which I thought was such an important point. It's like, you know, in the Bible, it says that the yoke is easy and the burden is light. And I don't think that in America, any parent would describe parenting as a light burden. I don't think you could find one person, right? But this is a biblical principle. And I, and I do think that our kids, Dr. Peter Gray puts it this way, they come biologically designed. So he's definitely from a different worldview, but they biologically designed. So we would say God designed, right? to self-educate, to self-educate. They do that a lot through play. They do that a lot through peers. And I think that this concept of letting go, giving it some breath, giving it some space is good for our kids while simultaneously it is good for us too. And I think this is the piece of that light burden of trusting God, letting go a little bit, knowing that he designed our kids for a purpose, that he has a plan for them. You know, the, the verse says, in his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. And so we have to be able to trust that God has determined those steps. And so that doesn't make us negligent, but I do think it lightens the burden a little bit. It does. And it means that you have to let go of worry. 
Because if we're worrying all the time about whether or not we're doing enough, then we're not letting go. We're not trusting in the process of our child's own development. And so that's, to me, one of the reasons why I always share my story about I have a learning disability and, you know, my parents allowed me to grow at my own rate. And they never knew, you know, that later on in life, I would be able to do the things that I can do. But it's because of that slow progress of being nurtured and being told that you are a successful learner. No, it doesn't have to look a certain way. You're curious and you're creative in this, that, and the other. You know, so I think we can always find those things in our kids that God has put there and really amplify it to them because maybe they are a little bit different or maybe they don't quite fit in in this way or that way, but we can help them see who they are. Mm -hmm. And Andrew Pudua talks about that. Like he says, it, it was the first time I'd really heard this topic of that so often we focus on the lack. We say, and, and we're not in a spot where we're really grading our kids, but in that typical model where kids have grades, well, we would say, okay, all right, you've got some A's, but what about that C? We got to get that up. And instead his thought is, and he even gives a percentage breakdown is like, I don't remember what it was like, 80% of your time should go toward the things that they already are good at. Like put mm-hmm. the focus there. Obviously, don't shortchange them if they, you know, need to know X, Y, or Z. They need to know how to multiply or something. Like, you know, just, you know, you can work with them, but don't have that be the focus. Have the focus be on their natural skills that you get the chance to see and cultivate by being with them for so long. Absolutely. Well, Jenny, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much. Can you Tell a little bit about how people can find out more about you and the latest book that you've just come out with. Thanks, Ashley. This has been an absolute honor, and I love these topics that we talked about. Hopefully, it encourages homeschooling families to stick with it. I think it's the best decision that we have ever made, hands down, and there's hard days, but you stick with it, and you and you look back, and you are so glad. You're so glad that you have the time. You're so glad for all of it. So Uh, Way to go, homeschool families. It's hard, but definitely worth it and beautiful. And I am not creative, so all of my things have the same name. I am at 1000hoursoutside.com. There's a bunch of free printable things there, like a kickoff pack if you want to add that. For us, it's like the foundation of our homeschool, getting outside because it hits all of these different things that are very important for growth. So that's a part of our homeschool. So you can find printout sheets there that you track your time and articles and things like that. And then um, we have an app by the same name, 1000 Hours Outside app. So some people track their time on the app and it sends you badges. It's just a couple bucks. It's pretty fun. And then um, I have several books called 1000 Hours Outside. And that's like the social media (laughs) So anyway, there we go. The creativity is lacking. Everything has the same name except for this brand new book, which is called Until the Streetlights Come On. It is a message of hope that you can do less and gain more. It's a message of hope that you don't have to shortchange today for the sake of tomorrow. And it is going to bring into your life the permission, like you said, which is such a great word, to really live fully today, knowing that that's what's going to prepare our kids for a rapidly changing world. All right, everyone, you heard it. Go check out everything that Ginny has to offer. And also, she didn't mention this, but I have learned so much on her podcast, which is also named A Thousand Hours Outside. So it's easy to find. Go check it out. And everyone listening, go and homeschool boldly. And remember, you've got this because he's got you.
This podcast is brought to you by Homeschooling Today magazine. Homeschooling Today is a quarterly magazine created by real people with a passion for honesty and encouragement. You won't find articles telling you everything you're not doing. Instead, you'll find homeschooling parents who have walked where you are or are currently on the path and want to help you succeed. We want to invite you to subscribe today and join the growing movement of parents who are setting aside comparisons, taking control of their children's education, choosing courage over fear, letting God lead, and homeschooling boldly. Visit homeschoolingtoday.com to learn more.